This is the DILF podcast, as in Dad, I'd like to friend. As always, I am your host, Kevin Selden, and I am excited to welcome you to A Dad is Born, the follow-up to episode 18's Dad in Progress. This is the second in our Expect the Unexpected series, where we invite back expectant dads from previous episodes to explore how any of their fears measured up to the realities of parenthood. Let's dive in. Hey, don't you worry. This is going to be the best podcast ever. <laughs> Brian, welcome back. So how old is your baby girl? Well, so she's just turned eight months a couple of days ago. And yeah, man, it's, it's been fantastic. You know, she's, so my daughter's name's Logan. She's beautiful. Just, I, I, uh, I enjoy having the baby. So there you go. End of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so before the birth, we talked on the first episode about how I would consistently try and bring up the discussion of a baby and, and what, how life was going to change or talk about your feelings. And you would get annoyed or leave dinners early and be like, this guy will not stop talking about this. And you commented about how lucky I was to have started a podcast. So I actually have a forum to talk about this stuff because uh, you certainly did not want to do it with me. Um, have you become someone who talks about babies? Are you still, you know, I, that's just a part of your life and you have no interest in talking about it outside of time? No, I, I definitely have an interest in talking about it because it's, it's interesting to compare and contrast, you know, how are you doing? What's going on with your kid? You know, a couple that we know just moved in a block and a half away from us, which is great. And their baby is turning one year old on Saturday. So we're similar in age. And so you could kind of compare and contrast and, and see how they're doing. But in general, I will say I still don't enjoy it. I still, it's like one of those things where I like being a parent. I enjoy the process of parenting. But when it gets into the nitty gritties of, you know, every little thing about it, it kind of just bores me still. And, you know, like I read a baby book in advance of it. And I, I wish I had it in front of me because it's actually very useful. Maybe if you have show notes or something, I'll, I'll Yeah, we do. Title. Yeah, I'd love to put that in. Okay, great. Yeah, because it was, it was a very simple book. It was kind of like, a, it was basically put together as a guide and it had very simple instructions, kind of like the hitchhiker's guide to the universe, but for having a baby. And it had very simple instructions in big don't panic font. And it really helped me kind of read through and know what to expect. So I was very equipped going in, even though I didn't spend, you know, 25, 30, 40 hours researching everything about babydom. And I think I mentioned this, I, I was comfortable saying, you know what, I'll get it. I'm going to figure it out. I just want to make sure I don't kill this kid. And that, and that was fine. No, you did. In the first episode, we talked about how you had not read any books and I was the yeah. same way. And you just kind of felt like you would figure it out, which I thought was wonderful. But I, I the one book that I was sent, I, and I discussed this in the second episode of this podcast, it was just so douchey in that <laughs> the guy was trying to appeal to other guys. Yeah. So he was – he would say these sensitive, beautiful statements, and then he would end it with, I mean, if you grow a vagina, you could do it. And it was like, <laughs> By Tucker Max. Well, is it necessary? You know, exactly. And um, I'm just curious if you feel like the book that you read, if it had any of that kind of pseudo machismo air, or if it was just a matter of fact, like I'm a dad and I care about my kid and here's what well, I this, Well, it wasn't written specifically from a dad standpoint. It was written by a man and a woman, and I think they were both doctorates. You know, like I said, for me, and you know, this gets into the old stereotypes of men and women, you know. But it's, you know, my my brain is very logical. The way I go through things and think them out is a very logical pattern. And I've got the building blocks, and this book laid it out in very matter of fact. Here's do do not do do not, and knowing that, 
I was able to say, okay, I can piece it together. Like I've got a basic game plan here and knowing I've got all these pieces to the puzzle, I'll be able to figure the puzzle out. So that was very useful to me because just because that was the way my mind works. And I'm sure that, you know, men and women on both sides both have that mindset, but I found that more engaging than, you know, like I had some other books. My mom sent me a book on like, uh, you know, stories from my father and you know, very touching stories of parenting and fatherhood. And I was like, eh. <laughs> not useful to me. You know, I don't know if I've told you this, but we are in the process of launching the first ever app for dads Oh, because there's like a billion apps out there for moms. And so we've been doing focus groups. I'll send you the link and inviting some of our podcast audience to become our first trial beta testers to help figure out what aspects they want in the app. And the one consensus that we've gotten is kind of in line with what you're talking about, how as men, a lot of dads don't want to sit and do all of the research and and get into the minutia. They just want a top 10 list. Yeah. This is what I need to buy when the baby comes. This is what I need to, to read. This is a great book. Mm-hmm. This is a great podcast to listen to. And just give me the info. Don't do all of the narrative on top of it. Yeah. And let me come to my own conclusions when the baby gets there or as I'm fathering. And And then obviously, if I have questions, there's a support group that we're working on within the app, working with a lot of different great organizations. Well, you know, it's like, I don't need the narrative around it. And I think that's why, maybe that's why I get so annoyed talking about parenting, you know, especially when it regards babies or probably, I'll probably never enjoy talking about parenting because it's too much narrative. And it also gets into that whole, you know, I think unconsciously, whether people want to do it or not, compare and contrast between babies. And that's what I have talked about. And I remember I told Sandy and I've told other people this that are having kids. And I was like, yeah, my buddy, Kevin, the one thing, you know, of, of all the, of all the baby babbling that he goes on about <laughs> that you did say that really struck you. You just said, you know, don't compare, don't contrast, don't worry about any of that. And that is very important because you can get drawn in with either compliments or seeing what other people's babies are doing. You know, like there was something that, you know, I feel like in a total asshole for saying it, but you know, there's another baby at daycare that has learned to clap. And I'm like, why isn't my baby clapping? Is she lazy or not? It's not you. You're not an asshole. Everyone doesn't. And it's like, it's so important that we realize it's just, everyone works at their own pace, but yeah. I totally understand that. Yeah. And it's just- Ours wasn't clapping. Ours was tummy time. And we had that other dad in the group who was like, really? Our baby's great at tummy time. Right. Look. Yeah, exactly. And, and we're like, like that helps me. That somehow it's compare contrast and it's just, it's just grading. And I don't feel like it's helpful. Like the only time I'd really want to talk about something is if, if we're having an issue and then I can go, Hey, have you dealt with this? You know, tell me about it. Yeah. Um, instead of just a broad comparing or a broad discussion of where checking in on the milestones and all that other kind of stuff. I could not agree more. Yeah. Um, well, I will send you a link. It's dadlifeapp.com, but I will, I will send you a link so you can give some of your feedback as well. All right, sweet. So during that first three months, we talked about how it was kind of like a boot camp. Is that, were there beautiful moments? Did you find it to be tough? What was it like? Yeah, I mean, it was, what was tough, and and here's the good thing. I lucked out, uh, and I'll say this very honestly, in that my wife and I, the way it worked out, a lot of people have the, the baby in the bedroom, and mom and dad are both getting up in the middle of the night. So what Sandy and I said was, we talked about it, and basically she said, I'm just gonna sleep in the room with the baby, and you just sleep in the other room, because we had a frank discussion about it, and it was just one of those things that said, and I don't mean Frank is in like a curt discussion, just an honest discussion. 
where it's like, you know, yeah. we both agreed it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially if she's not working, you know, she's on maternity leave and I still am working full time in my job. It didn't make a lot of sense for both of us to be exhausted all the time. So what we agreed on, we said, yeah, you know what? That's fine. You go ahead and you sleep in the baby's room. You're going to be getting up a lot more. And of course, she has to breastfeed as well, uh, breastfeeding. Right. So she's going up and there's not a lot I can do necessarily with that anyway in those early months. So she handled that and I work from home. So what I would try to do then is, and this is before COVID hit, uh, or at least right. hit in its really big form um, in, that, in those early first three months, we were still home and able to go out. So what I was able to do though, is since I work from home, I would then go out of my way to try to help more during the waking hours when I could, you know, take her and, and work from my desk in the back if I didn't have calls and that kind of thing to try to even it out. And then additionally try to help out with, you know, all of the other kind of domestic things, you know, yeah, I still would change a lot of the diapers. You know, that was obviously something we'd split duties on. Uh, I would do all the dishes, you know, or, or try to do as many as I could and help her out. So we try to find other ways, or at least I would try to find other ways in which to even out that effort and allow her to rest more during the day while I was able to get my sleep and then not both be at each other's throats. Cause that was something I was very concerned about. And I'd always heard about was babies, you know, babies can almost break up marriages because you're so exhausted and you're mentally breaking down from the lack of sleep, from the screaming and the yelling from the baby. And, and then you start to take that out on each other. And I think we were able to, in the large part, avoid that. And even though it was really tough a lot of times, just from the natural stuff that you go through with the baby, I think we came out of it still just very happy with each other and in a really good place. I think that's wonderful. Now, uh, are you sleeping in the bed again? Uh, together now yeah yeah she had come in after i think about month four she came in and i was i was pushing to have her come back in a little earlier but she said no nah, i don't want to do it yet you know and it's probably it might just be the, the whole mommy baby connection thing you know just <laughs> having been in there with the, the kids so long you know it's hard to say i'm coming back in but yeah no we've been sleeping back in the same room for about the last four months yeah i think that the biggest concern that i've heard from people is they never move the kid into the other room and so therefore mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have a four-year-old that's sleeping in the bed with you yeah and it's like, okay, there goes any intimacy in your marriage. Now, let's jump into some of the concerns you had in the first episode. Uh, you, we talked briefly about, you know, registry and bottles and all of the the crap that comes and how to get it to work. <laughs> Did was any of that a concern when the baby finally came out? You know what? Um, the registry wasn't, uh, and, and you know, there were so many people that helped us with that. I know you would, you know, you and Laura had given us some tips and. There were just so many people having babies around this time that it was pretty easy to put that together. Um, the bottles and the nipples was a thing because we did have a problem trying to get her to drink the bottle a little bit. And we went through a bunch of different nipples and a bunch of different bottles until finally we got one that worked. I mean, we could kind of, you know, jam it in there eventually and <laughs> make her take it in the meantime. But but that was a little bit of a struggle. Because it wasn't um, a boob, right? It, it, yeah, it wasn't the boob. And then just, I, I mean, I'm trying to think now it's like time's gone by so fast and so bizarrely during COVID yeah. that, you know, it's like my memory is impaired. And I remember reading something about this where because you're doing the same thing every day, for the most part, your memories all blend together. So it's kind of all like mush. But I, uh, yeah, I think that's what it was, was that it was, it was tricky, especially when I would do it. And, um, and which was when, when did you start doing bottles? About a month and a half, two months. I mean, it had to be. It was pretty early on that that Sandy started pumping, yeah. and we would do the bottles regularly. And then we'd have, you know, like I'd come in and 
get up in the night after she came back in the room too. You know, I'd get up in the night if I had to. And even when she was in there, I would still get up. If, if she was, we kind of had a thing worked out where if the baby woke up and we got lucky with Logan where she did not wake up often early, she would sleep and wake up maybe once or twice in the night. Wow. And then she went through the sleep regression and started waking up, you know, around month three, you know, five, six times. And that's where I would go over and, you know, and, and help out and, and hang in there for a couple hours or an hour and, and put her down and go back. So I know we were at bottle by that point. And I, so I'm going to guess maybe a, a month and a half, two months we did. I'm curious to know, like we, we started, I had Laura pumping immediately just because I selfishly, I wanted time and um, mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to have some bonding because there wasn't, there's not much room for a dad in the very beginning, you know, and we yeah. talk about that a lot on the podcast. So for me doing the night feeds meant a lot because I'm an, a night owl. And so by having that milk from Laura, we, we got him to get on the bottle immediately every night. And I don't know if that's why bottle helped. I think that just, again, every child is different. So, you know, you never know why one thing will work with one and another thing won't. But mm-hmm. I, I always think it's interesting to know when a, a wife is breastfeeding how a dad kind of gets involved. So around yeah. a month and a half, you started doing bottle. And before that, what did you feel during the first month was your interaction with Logan? Well, I remember it's interesting. I didn't know how I'd be prepared for her. And I was also afraid, what if I don't love this kid? Yeah. And I, then I just got this freaking lump in my house that I, you know, I don't want. Oh, but that fortunately has not happened. And maybe it's because I have the cutest baby in the world. Possible. <laughs> maybe. But she's, um, yeah, I, I never had an instant. I mean, literally from the very second I saw her, you know, love at first sight, all that kind of crap. Uh, for the first moment I saw her, I felt very attached. You know, this is my baby. It, it also helps that she has a signature smile. Like she started smiling at three months. And before that, of course, like you said, they just kind of roll around and don't do much. But I still was able to, you know, holding her and the moments where she falls asleep in my arms or I'd be rocking her. There was there was a time, oddly enough, where I was better at getting her to quiet and sleep than Sandy was. I and mean, maybe it's because... With Sandy, the baby, you know, she was always thinking about feeding or whatever it was. I was able to quiet her down when she would not stop yelling and screaming and, and crying. And I and so that was very important to me to be able that felt me made me feel very needed, useful, where to your point, there's not a lot you can do in those first couple months because it's so heavy on feeding and this, you know, the routine. So that was important and made me feel really good, you know, getting her to go to sleep and be able to quiet her down and then. You guys gave us a great tip. Another great tip for dads, you probably already said on the show, but the yoga ball was a lifesaver Yeah, because the baby, she just had to be bounced. And to this day, she loves bouncing more than anything. Well, now bouncing and standing and grabbing crap off the coffee table. But yeah, that yoga ball was the biggest lifesaver because there were sometimes it didn't matter how much you rocked her or soothed her or walked her around or did whatever. She would not stop crying until you bounced her on the ball. And something about that feeling of up and down weight, maybe a reminder of the womb of walking, uh, that would soothe her and calm her down. So we would always trade off, you know, in our hours watching TV, bouncing her on the ball back and forth. So I had a lot of interaction and a lot of, of baby time actually in those first few months. I, I feel like, Number one, you have a strong support network with other friends who have kids. So that's great that you had advice. And also I find it very interesting that with our situation, I was more shocked that with all my cockiness of feeling like I would be the perfect father, that when he came out, 
it took me an hour to calm him and Laura would just touch him and he would be calm. And it made me feel like, does this kid not like me? And am I, am I not good at this? And I think it, it alienated me in certain ways that it sounds like didn't happen with you. Well, that's the thing that's funny is actually, well, it wasn't funny. It was very uh, upsetting at the time, but I feel like the reverse happened almost with me and, and my wife where she had, she was just, you know, exhausted and frustrated where when Logan would not calm down and just kept on shrieking and shrieking and shrieking, she would actually, I think, get a little bit resentful of me that I could calm her down in those in that first month. Yeah. So it works both ways. And I remember even saying, she's like, I don't know why. She's like, she's like, why doesn't you want to come down? Why doesn't she love me? You know, something like that. And I'm making that up. This is not verbatim. And she's going to hear this and get ang- very angry with me. But but I think it's a very human response for at yeah. least one of the parents to feel like, why does this not as natural? And I just think it's, it, it eventually is natural, but it takes time. And a lot yeah. of times there's a lot of shame if you don't talk about it with your partner, you know? Oh, I agree completely. And it's, and, you know, and that's, and that's, I think a lot of resentment can build up too. It's good to have forums like this. I mean, honestly, Sandy's going to be going out of town. You know, like I said, Logan's eight months old now. Sandy's going to be going out of town at the end of the month going on like a little wine tasting thing with some, some other mommy friends. So I'm going to be home for four days with Logan. And I've been home with her for like one day before, one and a half days, fine. But I'm a little bit worried about it, a little insecure, because there are times even now where Sandy will be in the room and then Sandy will go out of the room and I'll be hanging with Logan. And then she'll look out, you know, Sandy will walk away and she'll start to kind of go, you know, like, oh, no, is this? Is this going to be what it's going to be? You know, when I'm home for four days, is this baby not going to want to be with me because I'm dad and I'm not mom? You know, that kind of thing. It's probably all very stupid, but I still am thinking about it. You know, it still worries me that is this baby not going to like spending time with me if she is forced to spend four days in a row with just her dad? I mean, I will say that there is absolutely, I have learned thus far in my journey as a dad, there is not one thought that you have that another parent out there hasn't had at some point. So I don't think any of them are stupid. I think it's, there's a lot of validity in if that, if the other parent leaves, is this going to be okay? And I feel like, you know, I took my extended paternity leave and I don't feel like I truly bonded with Wyatt until mom wasn't an option, you know, and then we created this bond and I believe strongly and, you know, time will tell, but I think that when, when Sandy goes, I think as long as you give true attention, because I think there's some parents out there who are half on their phone and half with their kid. And they're like, I don't know why the kid doesn't like me. And it's like, (laughs) you know, if you're truly there and present, then I, I think that you will have a beautiful bonding time. And I think they work in a, a cool way where once one of the parents is gone, it's like when they're aware that it's no longer an option, then, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm with dad. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, well, that is a challenge. I mean, the whole phone parenting thing is, you know, in the morning, we're both up, we're drinking our coffee, we're checking our phones, checking emails and stuff. And it's like, I have to make a very cognizant choice to put your phone away, put it on the table, don't look at it while you're in here with the baby. And, you know, make sure you're interacting with her because she's got, you know, she she's very smiley, you know, she's a very happy baby. And I'm like, I want to keep her that way. You know, I don't want her to think of what she thinks of her father or her mother's face. Uh, a head with a big black square in the middle of it. Right. Probably not the best. So that is something, but it's very hard to do. You know, it's really, really tricky, especially when you're trying to get your day going. It, especially during quarantine. A lot of times it's yeah. an escape, you know? Well, that's one thing is Sandy. I, I feel bad for her because this whole lockdown thing happened right after 
we had the baby. So, and she's on maternity leave. So she felt she kind of got robbed of her time to kind of go out and just enjoy maternity leave and enjoy walking around with, with Logan and, and spending other time, you know, doing mommy things. And now finally we're getting back into that normalized lifestyle and, you know, they're going out to parks and stuff and we're seeing you guys, but yeah, I feel bad for a while because she, she didn't get to experience that the same mommy dumb uh, that a lot of people would get when they have that time off work to spend with the baby doing things, going out, you know, having fun where we're all just, you know, hiding inside because we thought that it was the end of the world. It's so interesting uh, hearing that alternate perspective because I actually thought for newborn parents that it would be a dream because you're not really leaving the house that much during that first three months. So it's kind of like you don't even notice that quarantine's happening. But it's interesting, Sandy's perspective of like, but you, she wanted that chance to go to the to the classes and to kind of get out of the yeah, house and yeah, gone. Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I feel like for everyone it hit differently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I do think it did benefit. And also just the fact that we both, even when she's back at work, like she's back at work now, and even if she's full-time at work, she can still spend time at work or at home during the day. And before we put Logan in daycare, because I'm working from home, even before COVID, it was very beneficial. Having us both there was incredibly useful. And, I, you know, again, I feel bad for dads who do have to go off to work and are not able to stay home and help out and see the kid. And I can see why that would really if you have an insecurity about the baby and being with your child and bonding or not being useful, you know, cause people, you know, men, we do let, we want to feel useful. We, you want to feel like you're doing something and you're proving your value. And if you're, even though you're out, you know, making money, working, uh, lifting lumber, whatever it might be, crunching numbers, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you come home and not, not being there with the kid, it is a different experience. And I'm very right. grateful that I was able to have that and be here the whole time. And, and I think maybe that, you know, my wife and I relationship was probably better for it um, because there's no resentment on either side. And, you know, coming into this, we were talking about what, you know, what roles she does and what roles I do. And like I said, she changes, I would say she still changes more of the diapers because um, she'll usually change right before daycare and right after daycare. Although sometimes I do that too. But, you know, for the most part though, it's, yeah, fairly even, you know, because we both cook. We both love cooking. So that's split fairly evenly. We try to both chip in with the dishes and all that stuff. You know, always while she's bathing Logan, which is adorable, freaking adorable. But while she's bathing her in the tub, I'll be washing down the high chair and, you know, washing all that stuff off from her dinner and stuff like that. So it's, you know, finding ways, I think, to to do that co-parenting so that resentment doesn't build up, um, I think goes a long way, too. Now, you, one of your concerns in our first episode was, you know, with changing diapers and being delicate and like poop covered vagina, you, you, you said yeah. in the first episode. Still is, not a fan of that one. But is any of that a concern now or is it just kind of organically solves itself? It, I mean, it organically solved itself, I guess, because there's, you know, it's even though I still, like I said, still not a fan of, of the poop covered vagina, still uh, a little nasty in that. And mostly it's not nasty like, oh, gross female anatomy. It's nasty in the way that I'm like, okay, there's so much poop in here. Um, how deep is it? <laughs> how deep is it in there? And you know, they you're say more you're, concerned that it could get into the vagina. And yeah, cause an infection, exactly. Right? I'm worried about it. And then I'm like, as I'm wiping it, if I try to get it, I know you're not. They tell you not to go up in that, you know. So I'm like, I'm getting it. I'm cleaning it. I'm like, oh god, but do I need it? You know, is it is it getting if up? Yeah. So it's gross to think about getting it up in there. And I'm like, do I need to go up in there and get it out? And am I making it worse by making trying to make it better? But in general, it's been yeah, no problem at all. Um, 
I don't know. You know, it's your daughter, man. It's 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 natural. You know, she's it's just I, like an extension of you. And so in that regard, it's it was easy. In fact, if anything, I found I have to be far less delicate with this baby than I thought I would be. You know, it's like she's far more resilient and far more strong than I thought she would be. Like she's to the point now where she wants to roll every time you put a diaper on her, wants to freaking roll and grab stuff and kick her feet. So I'm like right. holding her down with one hand. And she's like, eh, you know, she doesn't like it, but I got to hold her down hard. Like she's, she is strong. She's using all of her muscles in her body to twist and turn. Like she's freaking chubby checker and I got to push this baby down. So yeah. I feel like we hear that a lot from people with more than one kid, that they are much stronger than you think, uh, you know, than you realize when you have them just in your brain conceptually and they're, and they're still in the womb. I must say, Brian, I think the baby has softened you a little. I have always been a softie. I just put up a very good front, but I'm trying to help your audience. So I am pulling back my kimono and letting people see the gooey underbelly that does exist behind this armored shell. I love that. I mean, it's like anything, you know, you, you're naturally going to soften a little bit because you, I mean, when you spend half your day making goo goo faces at somebody, yeah. it's going to react somehow in your brain, you know, it's mentally impairs your ability to be a hard ass in some way, shape, or form. Just opens your heart a little. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So your biggest concern, and you were kind of brave enough to admit this, and and in retrospect, it may not be as scary, but I feel it's very brave whenever we do an Expect the Unexpected episode and uh, Expectant Dad admits that he's concerned about a connection. You know, you were concerned about being mm-hmm. uninvested and uninterested. And you mentioned that briefly earlier in the episode, but I just want to address that. Are there ever moments when she's just crying and won't stop and you're just like, I can't deal with this? Do you, do you lose patience? Do you ever feel uninvested or does it never come up? <clears throat> never uninvested. I would say I, I definitely, there was one point where I lost patience. Well, there were a couple of times I lost patience, but she was really young. One time she just would not stop shrieking and I could do nothing about it. And, you know, again, I read that, you know, some of the books I read said to do this. And I had to tell my wife this too. And she was getting frustrated because she never wanted to leave the baby alone for even a you know, minute or two. Yeah. And I told her, I said, look, we're going to hit a point. I hit a point. I was like, I have strapped her to the changing table. She is safe. Cause at that point she was definitely not big enough to roll around or get out of it. So I said, I'm just going to, or I put her in the crib. Actually, I put her in the crib and I said, okay, I'm just going to walk away. I can't take it. I need, a, I need a break. And I went away for five minutes. She just cried and cried. I said, okay, calm myself down, go back. Because I was getting to that point where I was just like, I don't know what the F to do with this yeah. kid right now. And I'm getting very angry and very frustrated and very tired. So that was one time when she was young. Only, we only had a couple of times like that, which was great. And then um, in, in the current time... I got a little frustrated because she refused to take her bottle when I had her and Sandy was out. And we, I think that was purely based on teething. And I am not shy. I will admit this. And I recommend if you don't know what else to do, do it. But the old remedy of putting a little rum on the gums works. You did it? Absolutely. I did it and it works. Really? That's absolutely not a lot. I didn't dip my whole finger in. But I was like, I was like, she will not take this bottle. It's got to be teething. Like she, because it's hurting her teeth. So I just took a tiny tip of my finger and I just went eh, 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 right on there. And thirty seconds later, drank the entire bottle. Done. Have we ever told you about those chamomile drops that we use? They're like baby crack. 
You know, you mentioned those, but I, I, we haven't used them. We haven't bought those. I'm going to, I'm going to get you some of those too. Those are nice too. It's yeah. just, they're just easy and they're, um, self they're, they're packaged in a way where it's just a little shot that you can put in. Okay. Oh, sounds good. I really like uh, one thing I wanted to talk about too, just real quick. Yeah. Sleep training, the best thing ever have to do it. I, and at what month did you begin sleep training? Well, we started, I started pushing to do sleep training a little earlier on where we didn't have to be in there rocking or to sleep, rocking, 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 rocking for half an hour. So I pushed it early. So I think maybe probably around three months. Yeah, I did it at three months. I, she was like, Wyatt was sleeping in the crib at three months and Laura was a little scared, but then she would pass out. So I, I never slept. I watched the baby monitor all night long, (laughs) but, um, but he slept fine. You know, yeah. I, and I agree with yeah. you. I and think sleep training is the beginning of setting boundaries with your kid. And I think it's important. exactly. And it's just, and it, it makes, again, you know, the mental state for the couple of look, the baby and the baby, it, it took a night, I think for Logan, that was it. It took one night and she was, that was it. She was trained. She had a little bit of regression because they go through those growth regression stages for sleep. But for the most part done, slept through the night or woke up maybe one time. She sleeps all the way through the night now, no issues whatsoever. It's fantastic. And I know people that haven't done it. I know people whose kids are two running around, three running around, haven't done it. They still wake up four times in the night. You know, it's like, and the parents get up and go sit with them in the middle of the night. And it's like, you know, for the state of your own mind, I don't know how you could deal with that. Yeah. You know, Brian, I will say in wrapping up this episode, you have been a, an amazing example of someone who is not necessarily, we know that I am an extremely sensitive and empathetic individual and I'm not, you know, your typical guy. And I think in many ways you are a typical guy um, and, and come off more like that to many. And in earnest, I think this is a beautiful example of how uh, you might have concerns as an expectant dad, but when your baby comes out, even though every child is different, you just kind of naturally figure it out. And the fact that you sound so comfortable, you sound so knowledgeable with regards to a lot of these aspects. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're communicating with your partner. You have a support network to talk talk through things so you're not just keeping it in your head. And I think you're just yeah. a beautiful example of a modern dad. Yeah, well, thanks, man. I mean, I I certainly hope so. And it, you know, it's like anything: lead by example, <laughs> parent well in public, parent well in private. <laughs> Everything else follows. Uh, but no, I do. Uh, interaction, communication is very important. Not taking, and you're good about this too. Not taking anything too too crazy seriously. Having a sense of humor, absolutely important. I think because yeah. nobody knows it all. There's a lot of stupid shit that's going to happen, and you know, you just kind of have to laugh at it sometimes. Yeah, like. And and again, I I definitely would say I, I fit more a little a little bit more of that alpha male stereotype when it comes to being a man and a you know, roundabout guy about town. But you know, I'll admit I now will stop and uh, take note of a cute commercial for like baby underpants. <laughs> That's who I've become now. That's my life. <laughs> but yet you're the same guy. You didn't lose any of your masculinity. Like none of that changed. No, no. You just kind of open and available to it. Yes, I would I would agree with that completely. Well, I think that you're a great example to a lot of dads who might be fearful of the unknown and are pregnant or scared to get pregnant or are new dads and are just hesitant to get invested. I think that uh, it sounds like you just dove right in. And I think you're a great example of what a lot of men can do 
in today's world if they are communicative with their partner and with their own feelings. Thank you. Well, Brian McWilliams, you're a pleasure. Congratulations on Logan. Thank you so much for coming on the show for this follow-up episode. And you are proof that if you can do it, any man can do it. I always love to end any podcast with a backhanded compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me, buddy. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with other parents or other expectant dads. And if inclined, please consider writing a review. Until next time.